Well, good morning, everyone. Again, if you've joined us since the start of the meeting or if you're joining us on our uh, YouTube stream, uh, good to welcome you here today. My name is Mark Rushworth. It's good to be able to connect with you through technology. Um, as those of you who are watching in New Brunswick know, um, we've entered level three of the winter plan to combat COVID-19, which means we're unable to gather in person at this time. So before I get into God's word this morning, I just want to remind you of our Alpha course, which is beginning online this coming Thursday evening. We're going to be showing videos and exploring questions about Christianity on Zoom for around about 80 minutes each week. Right now, we're very limited in where we can go, who we can see. So this is a great opportunity to be able to connect with others and spend time looking into the important questions of what life is all about. So if you or anyone else you feel to invite would like to be part of this, please do contact me personally. Uh, reach out to the church office or message us through any of our social media pages. We will get you set up. All right, let's dig into God's word as I preach it this morning. So I'm going to pray right now uh, that the Holy Spirit will come and help each one of us uh, as I preach and as you listen to the message. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we pray right now, Holy Spirit, will you come and will you fill each one of us? Will you enable us to hear from you as I speak? Lord, I pray, fill me with your spirit. I want to be able to communicate your words. I don't just want to be able to, com to communicate thoughts and opinions. I want to be able to communicate from you and your heart and your word, Lord, to us. And I pray we will receive from you. And Lord, anything that is not of you, I pray we will be able to dismiss, but we will be able to hold on to what is you speaking to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, previously when I have been speaking, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, the first 14 verses of the book of Ephesians, uh, in which Paul outlined the many spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to continue on in this book for now, and we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. By the way, I've worked out that if I continue at this pace of two verses each message, we should be through this letter in about three years' time. Um, but, but maybe that's going a little fast for some, so we may need to slow down, just focus on one verse at a time. All right, let's read these two verses um, here. Verses 15 and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. So Paul is telling the Ephesian church that he has been praying, and as he's been praying, he hasn't stopped giving thanks for them. Remember, he started the church in Ephesus, and later he spent between two or three years with them. Many miraculous miracles took place in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can read about it in Acts 19 onwards, and, or 18 onwards. And now Paul is probably in Rome, in prison. Even though he can't visit them anymore, he is still praying for them. And he says he's praying for them for this reason. And we might think, well, for what reason? And the answer to that is, well, for all the things that he's previously said, all the things that we've been looking at over the last few months that God has done for them. God's chosen them to be holy and blameless. He's adopted them into his family. He's redeemed them. He's forgiven them. He's lavished them with the riches of his grace. 
He's given them wisdom and understanding. He's included them in Christ, and he's sealed them with his Holy Spirit. Those are the things, because of all of those things, Paul hasn't stopped giving thanks for those in the church in Ephesus. And Paul tells them that he's been thanking God for them, and he highlights two things which have made him especially grateful as he's heard news about them. Even in prison, news has come to him about the Ephesian church, and he's thankful, and he's saying, it's great that I've heard these two things about you. And the two things are this, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for all of God's people. So we're going to look in detail at those two things this morning, today. These are things which mark us out, which show that God has done a work in our lives. They're evidence of God's blessings in us. Sometimes they might shine a little brighter than others. Sometimes life circumstances or illness, even such as depression, can dull them. But if you are one of God's people, then these two things will be at work in you. In many ways, they're really the acid test of whether we are in Christ. Do we see the fruit of it uh, being in Christ in our faith in the Lord Jesus and in our love for all of his people? Firstly, faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, because Paul was there right at the start of the church, um, he would have known how they began by putting their faith in the Lord Jesus. That's how we all begin our relationship with God. We put our faith in Jesus. Before we come to that point of salvation and, our, and faith, we have a very different attitude towards Jesus. The Bible tells us, and our experience confirms, we're actually hostile towards Jesus. But then God works in our lives, and a miracle takes place, and our unbelief and our hostility is taken away, and we believe in him. We put our trust in him. Look at what happened in Paul's own life. He was zealously persecuting the church until God suddenly stopped him on the road to Damascus and changed his whole outlook. Suddenly, once God does a work in our lives, we love Jesus. We put all of our faith and trust in him. It's the foundation on which everything else is built. And it's where we keep on building. We don't move on from that foundation, that faith in the Lord Jesus. Our relationship with God is by faith from first to last. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us that. Faith from first to last. We begin in faith and we go on in faith. It's the way that we grow and that we mature as a Christian. It's not so much about the things that we do, but it's about where our trust is. It's about where our faith is. Are you believing in the Lord Jesus right now, in the difficulties and the circumstances that you're facing currently, in the temptations that you might be facing right now? That's what faith in Jesus is. It's a matter of believing and trusting in him throughout every circumstance of life. He's the Lord Jesus. That means he's in control. He is sovereign. He is over everything. Jesus isn't just a good man or a prophet. He's not one among many others. He's the Lord. And that means whatever temptations we face in our life, which might just seem too strong or too powerful to overcome, the things that continually get us down, we can say, hang on, Jesus is Lord 
over all of these things. He is in control over everything. He's in control over all the circumstances of our life. We can put our faith in Him to be able to endure and overcome by the power of His Holy Spirit. He's the Lord. And His name, Jesus, means Savior. Our faith is in the one who is Savior. He saves and rescues us from all of the temptations and difficulties in our life. The guilt and shame which we face are taken away by Him. He is all our confidence. He's the rock on which we stand. Now, having said all that, we know that we have an enemy, the devil, who tries to undermine our faith and confidence in Jesus. Sometimes it can seem as though our faith grows smaller as our problems loom larger. We can go through tough times and we can feel, do you know what? I don't even want to pray. We can resist going to God even though he's the very one who can sustain us and can rescue us. Have you ever experienced that? Some of you might be experiencing it even right now. Some of you might not want to hear me talking about putting your faith in Jesus in the particular circumstances that you are facing. We all have times like that. But he is the Savior who rescues us from our difficulties. He is the Lord who is sovereign over all things. We need to believe in him. We need to put our trust in Him through circumstances of our life because He's with us in all of those circumstances. Are we? Are we believing in Him no matter what is thrown at us by the enemy? Look at what Job faced. His body was covered in sores. His family was killed. His possessions were stolen. He lost everything. His wife was nagging him, telling him to curse God and die. He sees everything around him getting stripped away. I've spoken with a few people recently who feel just like that, actually. Yet at the end of it all, he still cries out, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. Everything in his life is being stripped away on every side. And yet, ultimately, even though he knows that God has allowed all of those things to happen to him, his trust and his faith is still in God. That hasn't been taken away from him, and God hasn't been taken away from him. I know that my Redeemer still lives. Right now, we're living in more difficult times. We're all living in difficult times when things are being stripped away from us, some more than others. A number of us have contracted COVID, a number in the church have it currently, and one or two have become quite sick with it, including some young children. Some are struggling through not being able to work, concerned about their income or their businesses. Some have lost or are in danger of losing their job over their sincerely held belief about vaccination. Some have lost close family and friends, haven't been able to be with them at the end of their lives or at their funeral. Some haven't been able to visit family for many years. Kids are struggling through not being at school. Parents are struggling 
through their kids being schooled at home. Many relationships are at breaking point. People's anxiety levels are high. So many things that we're struggling with in one way or another right now. Where do we put our confidence? Only in the Lord Jesus. Only in the Lord Jesus. We know that our Redeemer lives. When all is said and done, my confidence is not in my job. My confidence is not in the vaccine. My confidence is not in my immune system. My confidence is not in the government. My confidence is not in the health service. My confidence is not in science. My confidence is not in my family or my friends. My confidence is not in my savings. My confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only sure and certain rock on which we stand. He's the only fortress we can hide in where we will not be shaken. That's where we put our faith. He's where we put our faith. And oh God, let our faith be reported around the world, as Paul said about the Roman church in Romans 1 verse 8, or in the Thessalonican church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. We need to be those whose confidence and faith is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You might be hearing this this morning and feeling your faith in Jesus is shaky. Or maybe you've never even truly put your faith in confidence in the Lord Jesus. Well, if that's the case, I would invite you to take advantage of our Alpha beginning this week. Do join us or talk and pray with someone who you know has confidence in Jesus. We need to have our confidence and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that Paul comments on, and thanks God for the Ephesians, is their love for all the saints. Their love for all the saints. When we come to faith in our Lord Jesus, we are incorporated, we're joined to a group, a community of believers. We're not left by God to be isolated individuals in our relationship with Him. He draws us into community. We become part of a family. Everyone who's not born of God actually, as well as having issues with God, has issues with God's people. Have you noticed that? Not everyone says it out loud, but it's there in society. We see it in our media and comments on social media. And it's to be expected because people who are not born of God have a problem with God. They're rebellious against Him. And so they have a problem with God's people. But when we're born of God, He becomes our Father. And suddenly, we find we have a family. And He's a good Father. He's not a dysfunctional family that He's put us in. Well, He's a good Father. (laughs) Some of us may think that family is a little dysfunctional. But He's working in us. And He's operating and working in us through His grace. And suddenly, our attitude towards other believers changes. Again, it's an acid test that you are saved, that you want to relate to God's people. It's actually a miracle. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, most people who are not Christian would think a Christian to be dull, boring, and narrow-minded. Not many would choose to spend time with them. But that changes when we're joined to God's family. First John and chapter 3 verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. 
That's the test. That's the acid test. We know we've passed from death to life because we love one another. So there's almost a, there's a genetic change in us. We've joined another family. Our whole disposition, our whole attitude changes. As well as that, it's a command of God. John goes on to say, he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So it's a change in us. We can know we've had God change our lives. And there's a command that if we're loved by God, we're to love each other. Remember what we said about Paul, who was writing this letter. He started out by breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He wasn't thanking God for them. He was thinking, I'm going to get them. He hated them. He was full of hatred. And then suddenly, when he encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was saved and everything changed. He wanted to be in fellowship with believers. He wanted to be with them. They weren't so sure that they wanted to be with him because he'd killed their friends and family members. So it was difficult. But Paul wasn't deterred. And in the end, neither were the other believers. They pressed through their history and they were reconciled and they were brothers and sisters with each other. God had reconciled his people with the persecutor and murderer of those same people. That is a miracle. It's a miracle. And that same God is at work today. Notice that Paul talks of the Ephesians' love for all the saints, not just some of them. All the saints. And we need to make sure that we've got hold of this because it's easy to departmentalize the church. It's easy to separate the church out into different groups. We can think of the old people. We can think of the youth, the kids, the students, those who are Canadian, those who are immigrants, those who have a different level of education, those who have a different type of job. We, we can so easily classify, classify people in the church. And then once we've done that, we can just spend time with people who are like us in so many ways. And we can think, well, it'll be difficult to relate to those who aren't, who aren't quite like us. But that's the way that the rest of society thinks and acts. One of the distinctives of the church is that we stand out in how we relate to each other. Jesus says in John chapter 13 and verse 35, By this everyone shall know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We love everyone. The early church could have easily stayed in their separate groups. There were many categories in society that could have just easily set up different churches for different categories of people because people in different groups just didn't relate as equals. Jews and Gentiles... Slaves and free, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, men and women, adults and children. You would have thought it would be better to separate things out. Have a church for Jews, have a church for Gentiles, have a church for the rich, have a church for the poor. No, instead they were all together. They were all one in Christ Jesus. Paul said there's now no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female. As a matter of policy, they joined together. There were challenges and battles. Things slipped sometimes. They had to be reminded of these things. But they were united in Christ in the, because of the blood of Jesus. It's easy for us to separate things out too if we chose to do so. We could have a friend's church, a kid's church, a youth church. We choose not to do that. 
That's why, even though it can be difficult and countercultural, actually there are some real positives about when we can gather together, about having everyone together in one meeting when we gather. We didn't choose it to be that way. Because of what we're doing through having people of every age group worshipping and learning together, we're actually displaying something about God and his people in doing that. Now, there will be difficulties in doing that. There will be challenges. And that's not to say that there's not a separate place for children's work. Of course, kids aren't going to grasp everything that's preached on a Sunday. And we haven't made any decisions about this is what we're going to do forever. But listen, this is where we're at now. And we can look at it with eyes of faith to see what God is doing amongst us when we're together through the circumstances that he has sovereignly put us in. We can praise God as we see things happening in different people. And we can begin to relate more and more to each other, no matter what our backgrounds. Being united and loving each other is also a witness to the world. If there are divisions between different groupings in the church, how can we reach a divided world with the love of Christ who reconciles all things and who reconciles us to God? We have to be different to the world. That's why it's so important at this time not to have divisions in the church where the world would have divisions. Whatever it's over, whether it's politics, whatever. Obviously, right now, the latest divisions in our society are unquestionably between vaccinated and unvaccinated. I just want to comment briefly into that before I get into my main point of application on this. There's a lot of deeply held views, a lot of strong emotion and thought on this one. This isn't the place to get into reasons as to why or why we shouldn't get the COVID-19 shot. But no matter what our view on vaccination is, I would say we need to recognize there's increasingly a lot of things being said and done in society which are reinforcing hatred and prejudice toward each other. And that prejudice and hatred can come from both sides, just as Jews hated Gentiles and Gentiles hated Jews. But we also have to recognize that in all these divisions, including the ones that were around in New Testament times, there's usually one group who has the most power, slave and free, male and female. And I would say we have to be honest and say that much of what is coming directly from government, both federally and provincially, and from the media, in all honesty, right now amounts to persecution. Leaders and the press are increasingly caricaturing and demonizing people who are not vaccinated. There's a a cartoon, which was in yesterday's Daily Gleaner here, which is doing exactly that. It's just caricaturing those who are unvaccinated, saying they're stupid. I've met and chatted with a number of people who are not vaccinated, for various reasons, and I can tell you this, they're not stupid. Their reasons, whether you agree with them or not, are thought through. So there's a caricaturing, there's a demonizing, there's a blaming, and then increasingly explicit threats about punishing them and making life intolerable for them. Our Prime Minister has caricatured those who are unvaccinated as being anti-science, misogynistic, hating women, and racist. 
a French president is another president people around the world. French president has used vulgar language that I'm not even going to say here to say that he's really going to annoy the unvaccinated and make their life difficult. And he's been praised by a member of our provincial government. And our New Brunswick premier has promised that the lives of the unvaccinated are going to become increasingly uncomfortable and more difficult as though losing your job and being excluded from most of society wasn't uncomfortable and difficult enough. Listen, this is what persecution is. The definition of persecution is hostility, ill treatment, and oppression of people because of their race or beliefs. You may or may not agree with me on this. I would say we need to recognize it and call it out. It's not right. But how do we deal and recognize, respond to it as a Christian? Well, we can respond in a number of different ways, but biblically, I would say it's this. We may hold views and opinions on this matter and on other matters that are strongly differing from others in the church. Strongly differing. And I'm talking both sides of the argument. We may not understand how people think and act the way that they do. We may be incredibly frustrated because other people in the church or in society are not acting the way that we would like them to. And as believers, we might feel they should act in a different way than they are doing as believers. But what we have to realize is that as children of God, our change in disposition towards each other that God has worked in us and the command to love all people, all of God's people, outweighs any of these differences. As Jesus' disciples, we are to visibly show love to one another. Jesus gathered those he wanted to be his disciples. He called them to follow him, and they were a mixed bunch for sure. He called Simon a zealot or a freedom fighter. Some would say a terrorist, someone who wouldn't hesitate to use violence in the overthrow of the, what he considered to be a corrupt, oppressive, and occupying force, the Romans in Israel. Simon the Zealot, and he called Matthew, a tax collector, who was seen by many as being complicit with that same government, in league with them, setting out, selling out his own people. Someone who was employed to do the government's dirty work in collecting tax of people, which was seen by many as totally unfair, probably pocketing some of it as he did. How could these two people with such different perspectives and life choices ever hope to get along in a small bunch of 12 disciples. Only through the blood of Jesus and the love of Christ. Only through that. It's the love of Christ, the blood of Jesus, that breaks down dividing walls and unites us together, taking sworn enemies and making them the closest of friends, even family. Making family out of people who would otherwise hate each other. It wasn't that one of them joined the other side. They both saw and recognized that there was something so much greater in Jesus. And so they were reconciled and they loved one another. And Jesus said to them, you know what? People will know you're my disciples because you love one another. He said it to his disciples. Well, that's why. Because they would look and say, hang on, Simon, Matthew, how? How? only through Jesus. It would be, they would be seeing something that would be impossible in any other context. Brothers and sisters, 
do not allow other things, however important they are to you, to get in the way of loving everyone in the church. And I mean everyone. In chapter 6, verse 18, as he wraps up his letter, Paul says, always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Let's keep on praying for everyone in the church. Last week at our elders meeting, we were praying for the church. We read out every name of those who call Christ Central their home. We just spent the whole meeting, really, our elders meeting, praying for the church. And we read every single name. We love you. We pray for you. Of course, we may not agree with you on everything, and sometimes there are difficult conversations to be had. Sometimes we may not personally agree with your views on things. But the love of Christ unites us. And so we pray for each other. And we're thankful for all of you. I, I saw a Facebook post this week from a Christian leader who I actually greatly respect. And I kind of knew what he was trying to say. He, he, he just posted thankful for the 90%. But I have to say it grieved me, and I say that not in any sort of condemnation, because in humility I know I've grieved Christ through my words and my actions many times. But we pray with thankfulness for the 100% of those God has brought into our church family. For what reason? For the same reasons as Paul because of all the things God has done in and through us and is doing in your lives right now because of Jesus. And I would encourage you to do the same. And you may not know how to do that. You might not even know everyone's names. Well, pray for those who you do know. Go on our Facebook Live group and, and look at the members and pray for the people on there. Pray for the people in your life group. Pray especially for those who you have trouble relating to because of something that's happened in the past or because they hold a different view to you on something. Pray especially for those you naturally disagree with, those you cannot understand their perspective. Don't just pray that they would change to agree with you. Pray that you'll be able to understand something of where they're at. And pray overall, above all, that God will bless them. If you know how, if you know that you struggle to identify and relate to a section of the church, pray that God will change your heart. If you struggle to relate to kids, pray that God will change your heart. Confess if you're prejudiced, if that is revealed to you, and ask the Spirit of God to change you. Ask for forgiveness towards those who your heart is hardened towards and that you're resentful of. All of this is what makes for authentic Christianity. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. It will be seen by the world as a testimony to Jesus. Everyone will know that we are his disciples. We must safeguard this faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all his children at all costs. We must never allow anything else to become more important than that. In the book of Revelation, we see a sad thing at the start of chapter 2. God speaks to the church in Ephesus, same church. And he says this, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate evil people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles and aren't and have found them false. You've persevered, you've endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary yet. I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. They'd lost their first love. 
There were some good things going on. God liked that. But he was grieved that they'd lost their authentic faith in Jesus and their love for all the saints. If we lose these, we've lost everything. Let's press on in God to see these things keep developing. Increasing faith in Jesus in our circumstances, a softening of our attitudes towards other people, an availability to them, a commitment to them, an ability to forgive. Let's not back off others at this time when we even can't meet in person. Let's reach out to people by phone, text, social media, video. Let's take part in our life groups. Let's show real practical care and love for each other. We have a heavenly family. God is our father. Jesus is our brother. We have many, many other brothers and sisters in Christ. And in the end, we will see Jesus face to face. And we will be with his people forever. And we will come into the fullness of all that we've been looking at today. Until then, let's keep on putting our faith in the Lord Jesus and loving all of God's people. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, I thank you. I thank, I thank you that you have shown your love for us through sending your son, Jesus, through him dying for us, pouring himself out as an offering, and that our sin and our guilt and our shame has been removed, and we stand clean before you. And I thank you you've brought us into a family. And so, God, as we live out our lives here in 2022, with all the challenges and all the difficulties that we are facing. I pray that we would keep on pressing on and holding on to you, putting our faith in you, Jesus Christ, that we will trust you, that you are at work, that you are sovereign, that you are in control. Even if things get stripped away, we tr trust you, oh God. And God, I just pray that you will help us as a church to be those who love each other, I pray that you will help us to be united in love through the many differences that we may have, but those things fade into insignificance compared to what you have done and how you have united us together. I pray we would be able to display that to a world, not a divided church, but a united church who love one another so much and show that. And I pray others will see that love and come to you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. That's the end of our meeting today. Thank you for joining us. We hope to see you again online next week. Um, we have other ways to connect. We have life groups. Um, please do contact us if you want to do alpha or anything like that. But God bless you, and we'll see you very soon. Amen.